America, spread your golden wings, sail on freedom's wind, cross the sky. Pray burn with your golden This is Beth Moon. Welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Sydney Moon, and I will be continuing my summer bucket list series with Miniature Golf. This is Randy, and I will be continuing the All-American Summer Food Series with today's topic, Shish Kebabs. Awesome. This is Cole, and I will be talking about some of the cities in the U.S. that have the biggest 4th of July celebrations. That's right. Very fun. We have several holiday happenings going on right now. The cicadas are still here. Although it's been rainy the last few days, or dark and cloudy, and there hasn't been as many flying around. Last week was pretty intense as far as flying into cars, being everywhere. I know at our building at work, they started getting into the lobby. And the first lobby makes sense because the door is just open to the air. But the next lobby is closed off completely by these glass doors that are revolving doors. So you can't get in. They could. There's no way they could get in unless they got onto somebody and then dropped off when they got to the other side. So clearly they were doing that because they started to creep into the building. And then I saw them on the elevator. Oh my goodness. Yep. So (laughs) they were like slowly infiltrating the building. That's so funny. Yes, they're everywhere. Yeah, they were doing the same thing in my house. I don't have glass revolving doors, but I have normal doors. Let me tell you, I could not figure out how they were coming. I was like... Because a bunch of them were finding their way in, and they were just, like, on the floor in my living room. And I go, and I pick one up, and I take it out, and I put it, like, on a piece of lawn furniture or, like, a leaf or something. And then I'd come back in and then walk out into the living room an hour later, and there'd be another one in a slightly (laughs) different position. And I knew it wasn't the same one because I'd pick that up, go outside, and put it next to the other one on (laughs) a piece of lawn furniture. I ended up moving, like, six... From my living room floor, so funny. spread out across maybe two days or so, from the floor to outside. And I was, like, checking. I was, like, looking at the door as I was going in and out, yeah. like, checking to see if they were following me in yeah. to figure out how they were getting in. When I took the, like, sixth one out and put them, I was like, I swear to God, if you guys keep coming in, I'm going to start eating you. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't seen any more. I haven't seen any more since. A few got in that weren't on the living room floor that I didn't catch. I've got the black fluffy cat Onyx. Oh, yeah. She was enjoying being a huntress. Will she eat them or going, just No, play she them. will just kill them. Yeah, okay. And leave their little bodies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, which was not dissuading the other ones from coming <laughs> yeah. in. That's right. Yeah. It wasn't well. enough of a deterrent. Yeah. Um yeah. it's funny because there was a, there was a time when I don't know that it was Onyx, but I know it was Onyx because we have a large like frame. My roommate has a large frame like map on our mantle that we just kind of have resting like angled up there. So I heard a big crash, and I walked into the living room and I saw that the the picture was like face down on the floor, and there was a dead cicada next to it. <laughs> and then I walked over and Onyx was just like lounging in the other room. Yeah. She did her job and she's done. Right. She was like, it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get up Even on the mantle I had seen and her, walk behind her. Right. I'd seen her on the mantle earlier, too. So it was looking yeah. pretty uh, suspicious. It is funny. I think last time, one or two times ago, I was talking about how when cicadas are on their back, 
they're not smart enough to use their wings to flip themselves back over. So there was one point when I walked out into my like office space and there was a cicada there on its back and I figured, okay, Onyx killed it or something. It wasn't moving. So I picked it up and it started moving again. So I took it outside, put it on a piece of lawn furniture and it flew away. So then I realized that it was completely fine. It had just ended up on its back and given up <laughs> because it didn't know it, how to use it its wings. It didn't know how to use its wings to flip itself over. <laughs> Presumably, it had been waving its little arms in the air for a while and just resigned to its fate at this point. <laughs> may have saw the big fluffy cat walk by too and decided to play dead. Oh, I don't think it's smart enough for uh, that. Yeah, that's true. that's true. Too much credit for it, huh? Yep. So at work, we had a trivia for one of our events to get some extra. We had like a raffle. You do so much work and you get more tickets. And one of them was a trivia-related thing to get tickets. And it was cicada questions. Oh. So I don't know if you said this before, Dad, but I did learn that cicadas have five eyes. No, I did not know that. I only know there were two red beady eyes. (laughs) Two red beady eyes. I had a friend of mine was running the event. So she was like, okay, um, your question is... How many eyes do cicadas have? And I was like, uh, two. And she was like, oh, you said five? Great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's funny because cicadas are so docile that when I was taking one out, I was like, okay, where are they? And then I like held it up (laughs) to look. And it looks like there's three little black dots on the back of its head. Oh, Oh, interesting. So I, I haven't looked it up, but I think it's like a praying mantis's eyes. Like a praying, if you don't know, a praying mantis has a third eye on the back of its head. That can tell light from dark. Right. So I think it's probably something along those lines where it can... It's not a full eye, but they it's some kind of light-dark differentiation. It doesn't seem to help them a lot. No. no. <laughs> Maybe that's no. why they're always flying everywhere. I want to go here. No here. No here. <laughs> too many eyes. <laughs> too, many, too many eyes. Too many options. They're like aiming for something using the back of their head. Yeah. So. yeah I don't know. It doesn't so. seem to... It's kind of like they are slow flying. They don't seem to be able to avoid birds very well. Yeah, they kind no. of bombard you, but you can easily like yeah, you like, can easily away. get it all the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I thought that was neat, well, especially that they're so like you can just pick them up, examine them, and they won't do anything. They'll just chirp at you. Yeah. That's so funny. But I thought that was cool. Yes. Yeah, so I think the cicadas actually we're on the downslide now. Um, so we should be out of cicada season based on what I've heard in the news by the end of June. Oh. Uh, so we have a couple more weeks of um, less and less cicadas. I went to the hairdresser the other day and parked next to this little tree, and I have never heard such a loud cicada noise in my life. There were so many cicadas um, at the salon um, parking lot in this one corner that it was actually painful to hear. it get louder and louder and louder, and then it get softer and like softer. Ebon yeah, flow, it was like yeah. a like a like a rhythm to it. Yeah, it's just intensely loud. So I know you go to the hairdresser on uh, Tuesday, so you'll have to see see. if if they're still there in that back corner. Yeah. We also did have a chance to put up our patriotic items mixed in with our regular summer kind of decor around the house and outside. So obviously very red, white, and blue, flag-oriented, patriotic eagles, you know, all that typical sort of thing. I have a a Mickey I got last year that's standing. It's like a, I don't know, 12, 14-inch Mickey Stands next to his flag. That's a, that's a really nice Mickey decoration. No large decorations that are as frightening as the bunny ones. Unfortunately, I don't have like a Sam, like Uncle Sam that has like soulless eyes that you enjoy <laughs> so much. <laughs> Pure white eyes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, nope, nothing like that know. yet. You could do, uh, yeah. you could repeat whatever ritual you did to get them for Easter, <laughs> but for uh, we never July want those. Stuff. We never want those again. Yeah, and we have a lot of graduates, you know, that we know of, family, friends, yeah. things like that going on. The interesting thing is, I mean, graduations are literally happening right now. This is like the early mid part of June when we're recording this. But Target, not wanting to get behind, is already putting out. They're back to school items for next year, which is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, they were really? still. Put, I went there today. Beth and I saw this yesterday. I went today, and they were actively filling up the notebooks and pens and all the things Markers, associated. Tape. Yeah, I mean yes. all those things that Beth come out. loves. <laughs> all the things that I love. <laughs> yeah, so they are actively putting in. I think this is the earliest I recall them going up. It it's, is really early. Because, yeah. I mean, literally, I think the kids just are getting out of school. So, I know with Normally COVID that like changed. Normally, it's like summer but, stuff. Yes. Yeah. So, really, once uh, I have kids and Sydney has kids, we should just give you the school supply list oh, yeah. and the children. And oh, like, my goodness. Off, yeah, your mom. Yeah. yeah. Off with you. Your mom would love that if yeah. you let her do that. Yes. Yeah. Markers and crayons. Yeah. and Oh, yeah. 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 Are you sure you only want that pack? Here's a pack of 6,000. <laughs> <laughs> I know it says 16, but let's go big. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Go big or go home. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of interesting. And they still had their summer stuff up, Sydney, but I okay. but they started, because now they have this big back-to-school section, it started to get squashed a little bit to uh, the side. So, yeah. Yeah, so that is happening now. And, of course, uh, Christmas ornaments are... Slowly progressing as far as coming out soon. They they have them behind, like, in some stores behind um, curtains, so you can't see them. Really? Mm. Yeah, but they're... Because typically they unveil them in July. Oh, yeah, Christmas in July. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Fun! It won't mm-hmm. be long there. Yeah. And speaking of summer, I know I enjoy, or have enjoyed, playing putt-putt mm-hmm. in the past. Yeah. And miniature was, golf, do you mean? It's also miniature golf. It's yes. Right. What? Very good. We've, you get a gold star. I think right. I think the most that I've played miniature golf is... I think we played it in Florida a good bit when we've gone down for yeah, vacations. Yeah, we played it in Florida. I, I, I think it. that's the one I remember the most, at least. Okay. I know we've gone on trips. Um, yeah. We did one in yeah, Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach. Yeah, with a youth group. I think we did it one other time. I know we've been to kind of just the three of us went to kind of a crappier one. I don't remember Three of us being like a, Sydney, Cole, and me. Right. Yeah. Went to, I think it was like an indoor one. I think it was yeah, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember was that. It, it was a bit crappy. Yeah. yeah, was it in Winchester? It may have been. I yeah. think it was. It may have been. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so But fun. I think it was one of the first times we did miniature golf. Yeah. So it was still probably fun yeah. to us. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the indoor ones are like fluorescent. Yeah, yeah, like black because I think it was in an arcade, and yeah. you could separately oh. do a miniature golf yeah. thing. That's funny. That was yeah. a while ago. That was a that long was, time. That was a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, I can't believe you remember that. I remember I the outdoor ones, and I especially like the outdoor ones. Yeah, because on nice days, those are really. And my, I think that they're really fun. So, I'm not going to talk about the history of golf. If you are going <laughs> to you. talk about that, although we have been to Scotland, we have where the Scotland, golf yeah. originated. But if you want to know more about golf itself you can do your own research but in general i'm just going to talk about miniature golf so mini golf is an american pastime with a lot of history which i was actually impressed at i didn't expect it to be a lot of history. to have that much history yeah while some refer to the sport as putt putt crazy golf mini putt and other names the basics of mini golf remain the same 
As a byproduct of the original full-size golf sport, mini golf is relatively easy to play while being a lot of fun. Throughout its years of existence, golf itself has gone through several evolutions and changes to make it the game we play today. The same can be said for miniature golf. And this comes from harrisminigolf.com, by the way, so it mentions its own golf. So Harris Miniature Golf Courses are actually one of the pioneers of the U.S. miniature golf business. The company revolutionized the ways in which miniature golf was introduced to the American atmosphere on a mass scale by reimagining the game's possibilities. So, how did mini golf begin? The first iteration of the game we now know as mini golf was documented, which is why documentation is important, in the June 8, 1912 edition of the Illustrated London News. An article in this newspaper introduced the golfsticle as a concept of a smaller, miniature-sized golf course. The green was made from carpet and other artificial materials and incorporated geometrically shaped obstacles to present players with unique challenges. Just four years later, in 1916, Pinehurst, North Carolina, introduced the Thistle Dew DHU as the first official standardized mini golf course. The Pinehurst Mini Golf Course is also credited as being the first official mini golf course in America. Thistle Dew used a mass production commercial approach to bring miniature golf courses to the masses. The term Thistle Dew was a play on words from This Will Do. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Meant to reflect the concept that if a large-scale size golf course was not acceptable, a miniature golf course would do. That's so funny. That's funny. This will do. This will do. The evolution, as years went on, miniature golf continued to evolve and flourish. In 1922, the golf aficionado Thomas Fairborn developed a new artificial green made out of a mix of cottonseed hulls, sand, oil, and dye. This changed the miniature golf game and made it accessible almost anywhere. In the late 1920s, New York City boasted over 150 rooftops with miniature golf courses. Fun. Yeah. In 1927, John Garnett Carter patented his version of the game based on a course he built on Lookout Mountain in Georgia. Carter called the game Tom Thumb Golf, and within a few years, thousands of Tom Thumb Golf mini golf courses opened around the country. The American miniature golf boomed in the early 20th century and came to a halt in the 1930s due to the Great Depression. As with most other industries, mini golf businesses started closing left and right. Before the end of the decade, most mini golf courses had either closed or were demolished, which isn't surprising. So that's interesting that they called it Tom Thumb mm-hmm. yeah. because it's the, I think it's like English or Welsh folklore is like the very, very short right. person. Yeah. So it'd be kind of like calling it Thumbelina golf or, you know, right. in yeah. modern. So people realize it's right. just a smaller version. So that's kind of a, right. a fun way to make it accessible so people know what it is, but also mm-hmm. have kind of a fun, it's Tom Thumb golf. Yeah. Yeah. In the years that followed the Great Depression, various types of mini golf courses popped up all over the country. In addition to curves, banks, rolls, and pipes, 
and even more challenging golf courses, including wishing wells, castles, windmills, which I think is oh, a classic. Yeah, the windmill is what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. I was like, and I... other obstacles. Around 1961, miniature golf became an organized and widely recognized sport. So in present day, mini golf is an incredibly lucrative, fun, and entertaining industry. Miniature golf course developers like Harris Miniature Golf Courses have changed the game as far as what it means to introduce choices and challenges for players. Mini golf courses can be designed for groups with large and small. Games can be played in the daytime or evening and at the level of difficulty in which the players feel most comfortable with unique layouts, exciting greens, and challenging courses, the possibilities of today's mini golf adventures are endless. That's fun. Well, forget the uh, clown motel. I guess I should open a mini golf course. That's or where you, the, the money is. Or you could open a mini clown golf course at Next, the clown motel. At the clown motel. Absolutely. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's and actually, true. There'll be a lot of distractions. That's right. And people <laughs> might want to get through the course very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> that might be another challenge, though, for them. That's right? true, yeah. A special challenge. Um, this reminds me of the uh, TV series um, Gravity Falls. There is an episode. So it's about these two siblings going to their granduncle's home for the summer. Right. And, and it's a, a cartoon. It's, it's a cartoon. It's kind it's of got that spooky, mm-hmm. quirky, fun Kind atmosphere. of a little supernatural right. thrown yeah. in there. Yeah. So there's this one episode where they went to a miniature golf course. And it turns out that, like, at night. And they find out that in each of the little miniature golf, like, lands, like windmills and, and pirate ships and things like that, yeah. there were miniature golf people. Who determined where the balls went. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah. yeah. So it, it really played off of the idea of miniature golf courses and imagination, especially kids' imagination. Of- yeah. In mini golf, sometimes there's things that happens where you put a ball into an obstacle mm-hmm. and then you just wait and it doesn't come out yeah. right away. <laughs> so you might have to go and like nudge at the obstacle yeah. and, <laughs> and the out. Yes. Right. <laughs> So I think it might it might play with that kind as of well. tropey thing as well of like right. oh well what's happening are they right. deciding where the ball is coming out exactly yeah. or um, it like goes a, a different direction yeah. than you because a lot of these obstacles would. will have you like kick it in and it'll have like two paths to go out right. or yes. you know something along those lines which yes. is just another really fun aspect of the game yeah so I think it's a good place to take a date I think it's a good place to take a group of people and I mean I've always enjoyed. When we have gone, the most recent yeah. memory I have is at a hotel, and they had a really nice miniature golf course outside within the resort. Within the resort. Within the resort. Yeah. 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 yeah, and that was very nice. We played it in the evening, and it was just very pleasant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and what I think something to remember, too, is that a lot of times, mini golf courses will have multiple people kind of queued up for... Like, there's one little section, and then there's another little section, and then another little section, and multiple people will be going through the course. So if the people in front of you aren't done, it's just a good time to just kind of stand around and chat, too. I think the point is to not feel like you're rushed because there's people behind you. You need to kind of let it... We've offered to people that seem a little more impatient to just play through... So in other words, go ahead of us because yeah, yeah. Just, because we're if you're really in that much of a hurry, we're there for time fun. time limit. Maybe you have a reservation you're trying to get to, whatever. Then you know that just let somebody else yeah. go if they need to. Because I've uh, I've played a mini golf course with someone who was like hyper aware of people behind it, and it was like, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta yeah. go. And I was like, I'm not having fun. Yeah, yeah right. because it's not as fun. Mini golf is a game to it is a chill game it's yeah. very relaxed you can 
you can have rules to it, you cannot have rules to it, aside from, you know, like the house rules of don't, you know, smack the ball over obstacles or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But it's, it's, I love it. It's super fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I really like it too. And it's funny because on Facebook, you know, I like they'll show kind of random video clips of things and they'll say, you know, you might like this, you know, it might be some sport thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. So miniature golf started to come up on mine and it's this guy, his name is Brooks Holt, H-O-L-T. And he and his wife or girlfriend, I'm not sure what she is, they play at courses all across the United States because the neat oh. thing about miniature golf is that the people who put them in are very creative, right? Mm-hmm. Some are pretty basic and then some have more elaborate ones. So they play all over the place and it's kind of, I, for whatever reason, I just like watching the different holes because mm-hmm. they, some include water where you actually have to hit the ball into a like stream. Mm-hmm. Um, some are like um, mechanical where you hit the ball and it goes up. Like this little, um, like a almost like a roller coaster for yeah. the for the ball, so and it goes yeah. like they get complex, or some are like kind of crappy. I mean, they go to all the crappiest ones and the most elaborate ones. So it's kind of fun yeah. to watch them. Yeah, I know yeah. there's some obstacles that are like windmills, but it's like little cups, cups that yeah. can take the ball yeah, and go a different direction. With it. The, yeah, yeah. So it's fun. I think the key is though to have fun with all that. Definitely. Yeah. Some of the obstacles can be a little hard to get around, but. Not to be frustrated, especially if I think personally, I'm a very competitive person, but I think that personally, mini golf is not the best thing to be competitive about yeah. if you're just yeah. going and right. chilling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of you need to keep perspective. If you can't, right. if you can't get through an obstacle, you know, just keep perspective. This is just one little obstacle. Yeah, like I think I've been with people who have like kept score and everything and I've been like, okay, you can just put me down as a lose because I just want to Yeah, just get the ball and have through fun. and yeah, just have mm-hmm. fun. Very fun. Yeah, and it is a good summer bucket list thing to do, especially since the evenings are so long. You can wait till the heat of the day is gone and play later into the evening. A lot of places, yes, yeah, sure. And a lot of times, a miniature golf place is connected to like a little restaurant mm. or an ice cream place, right? A resort, yeah, yeah, right. Lots of different places have them available to you. And, and last week, I talked about ice cream, mm-hmm. which you could probably get at a miniature golf place. Probably can. Oh yeah, yeah. I imagine it's one of the most common yeah. things. Probably this week on my series of my All American Summer Foods, I'm talking about shish kebabs. Maybe you can get those out of miniature golf place. Mm, doesn't maybe sound like not. not. Maybe um, not like the probable. restaurant next to it. <laughs> maybe one of the uh, like the rooftop ones. Maybe yeah, there you shish go. kebabs feel like a more of a rooftop yes. party kind of food. Yeah. So what do you guys know about shish kebabs? They're food that you have on a little skewer. Yeah, food on a skewer. I believe most of the shish kebabs that I see are Middle Eastern or near okay. Eastern, like Greek to Mediterranean. I always think of them as being grilled. Grilled, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. All that is good information. Uh, so typically, a shish kebab consists of meat, and for the United States, vegetables on a skewer, and is usually grilled. It can contain lamb, beef, fish, or chicken, as well as vegetables like green peppers, onions, mushrooms, things like that. Sometimes shish kebabs uh, feature only meat, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So the interesting thing about the term shish kebab, any idea what part of the world that comes from, or what country? This is Beth. I'm going to guess India. Okay. I'm going to guess Turkey. I'm going to be really silly and guess UK. United Kingdom? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so coal is correct. Mm. It actually means gobbets of meat roasted on a spit or skewers. Well, that's Very a little... lot to me yeah. for just that one small word. Now, some don't put the gobbets of meat. It's just meat. But, you know, it's the idea is roasted meat on a skewer of some sort. 
it's probably the most famous, at least in that part of the world, for including grilled lamb. But there are countless recipes that have popped up over the years. It's, it is said that shish kebabs were born over the open field fires of soldiers of the Turkic tribes that first invaded Anatolia, who used their swords to grill meat as they pushed west from their homelands in Central Asia. Mm-hmm. It predates Turkey's Ottoman Empire, which was you know from 1300 to the 19, early 1900s. Given the simplicity of spit-roasting meat over a fire... It probably existed earlier, but there's not uh, actual evidence that it did. There is some evidence in Byzantine Greece that they used open fires with spits of meat on them. Um, So there's also reference of it in Homer's Odyssey, skewering strips of meat for broiling. So, you know, some reference in other places. But like you said, it's a very simple concept. Right. Even pre-fire ovens or anything like that. Yeah. Now, some will point to Persia, ancient Persia, that had a similar term used in the Middle Ages to designate skewers containing tiny pieces of meat consumed as accompaniment to glasses of wine. It had small morsels of meat. So it could have been that um, the reason they made the meat pieces small was because they were easy to cook, took less time, took less fuel in order to eat them. Yeah, right? that makes sense. And in a land that didn't have a lot of firewood, right, a lot mm-hmm. of trees and such... So the kebabs made their way to Greece from the Turks, and then it turned into something different. So the morsels of small pieces of meat remained. The lamb was interleaved with hunks of tomato, onion, and green pepper, making it like a linear meat salad. (laughs) This is the kebab style that was popularized in the United States, where then beef and chicken were added and preferred over lamb and pork. Also in America... Not surprisingly, the chunks of meat also became way bigger, right? We kind of have our mindset about how big the chunks of meat are. They're like squares, maybe an inch or so big. But in other parts of the world where they originated, the meat pieces are much, much smaller and thinner. So interesting. Mm -hmm. That's true. Right. So typically, the idea was to not have the meat touch anything. So think about how we have changed that in the United States. We basically skewer them and then lay them on a grill. Right. right. And they're all like together. Some of, the, some of the point is to have the flavors yeah. intermingle a little bit. Right. So backyard kebabs in the United States became all the rage in the 1960s when Greece was featured on a number of films in the United States. So the populace kind of picked up on that and started to, to use those as reference points for food making, which was kind of funny. Yeah. Kebabs went in many other directions, too. They were carried along the Silk Road back in the day, eastward by traders who found cooking small morsels of meat over an open flame. Again, a a quick, cheap, and efficient way to um, make some hot food for them. In Georgia, in the Caucasus Mountains, the kebab became known as shislik, and from there developed into an important aspect of Russian cuisine and that of other former Soviet republics. In Pakistan and India, the meat variations on the shish kebab proliferated, including several forms of lamb, chicken, and other, what they would say is unusual meats. For unusual meats, they tend to marinate them longer to kind of take the gaminess out. But again, they cook lots of things on skewers. Mm -hmm. The kebab eventually went even further and spread into Indonesia, where it is known today as the satay, or satay, 
which is made of chicken or beef and served with fiery peanut sauce. It made its way to northern Nigeria, where flat, elongated pieces of beef or lamb called suya are cooked over a charcoal grill and then coated with crushed peanuts. And in Japan, they have something called yakitori, which is a style of cooking, where they can put nearly any cut of meat or even vegetables on a stick. Lots of different ways to make a kebab. One of my favorite ways to have a kebab, though, is a fruit kebab. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Right, where you can cut up fruit into squares or you can get the little scoop, which will make sears out of cantaloupe and things like that, and put them on a skewer and you don't even have to grill them. Although we did learn from our watermelon podcast, if you grill fruit, particularly watermelon, it'll bring out the flavor. So you could do a quick grill of fruit kebabs just to bring out the flavor. I think the flavor is lovely as it is. I think mom likes her fruit being cold. Too. Yeah, that's Chill. true. Yeah. That's true because that would heat the, the fruit up. That's right. I sense. wonder if you heated it up and then you cooled it down, if that would work. I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. You can try it, listeners, and <laughs> right, tell right. us how it goes. Now, when I first started this series, one of the things that somebody said when they think about all American summer foods was the corn dog. So, did the corn dog kind of come from the shish kebab, do you think? No, it didn't. Oh, <laughs> don't, don't bother! Don't, I don't bother think thinking. of uh, spit roasting a corn dog over the fire. But the first, but it does corn, have a stick. Yeah, but the first corn dog appeared in the late 1920s, baked in a mold resembling an ear of corn. The stick was actually added later, but not inspired by shish kebabs. But it was simply a convenience of eating things on a stick. Yeah. So, no, there was not a connection. But <laughs> I did get a chance to mention corn dogs in my All American Summer there you go. <laughs> food series so so that was a fun series and i'm sure there's other fun all-american summer foods that i could have covered apple pie other things out there stuff (laughs) but one of the interesting things that we did find out was that almost all of our foods came from some other country and weren't all american in the sense that the united states created them out of nothing but we did put a spin on all of them yes and in this case the shish kebab got bigger the meat chunk got bigger. And, and it got added veg- mixier. It got mixier. mixier. Yeah. yeah, I guess grease added the vegetables, but we took it. We squished to them own. together. Yeah, we right. took our, made our um, own kind of style out of and it. And put them so, on the grill. Shout out to the world for giving That's us right. yes, all, so many all of the, <laughs> all the, the world and all the immigrants that came over for giving That's us right. all the, the different ideas and all the great different foods. Yeah, so that was a fun series to do. Lots of great history. So enjoy your summer foods. Thanks. American or Your otherwise. Shish kebabs, watermelon. Corn on the cob. Corn on the cob. and Hamburgers and hot dogs. Hamburgers, hamburgers and hot dogs. And hot dogs. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And I know that we'll be eating all American food when we are celebrating 4th of July. Probably with some fireworks. Maybe we won't be eating those specific foods when we go out to, to see fireworks. Or however that's kind of handled this year with COVID on its way out. But still a little around. Yeah. People that would normally sponsor or organizations that would normally sponsor the fireworks haven't all been forthcoming in what their specific plans are yet. Yeah, yeah, and neither are a bunch of the big, like, cities that are normally well-known for having huge fireworks celebrations. I've got lists from USA Today talking about some of the biggest cities in the U.S. that have fireworks celebrations, and these are celebrations that are publicly... Funded. When we, were, when we were offline, Dad mentioned Orlando as one of the biggest cities to have it. Because Disney 
Which would be true if it was like any fireworks celebration, but these are specifically the publicly funded ones. Okay, so I asked all of you to to think of uh, a city that would have a huge fireworks celebration and see if it was on the list here. Is it a top ten list? Uh, it's not specifically a top ten okay. list. It's just list. You all got ones that were on the list. Because we had told him we're offline. All <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do we? Do you want us to say it now? No, no. So, Dad guessed Boston. Yeah. Which is the first one that I've got here. Oh. Yeah. So it's obviously a huge revolutionary war mm. city. So they've got huge celebration. Lasts the full week. They've got parades, harbor cruises, ceremonies, live music, exhibitions, and their famous chowder fest, as well as uh, the huge firework kind of extravaganza in Boston. Nice. Or is it a chowder fest? Well, we'd have to ask if you want to ask uh, (laughs) Trish. There you go. Yep. She might be able to tell you if it's uh, chowder fest or chowder fest. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Next one, we've got... A little south, but what's another huge, like, Revolutionary War city? Philadelphia. Oh. If you didn't know, former capital of the U.S. That's right. Oh, so was New York City for for a short period of time. But Philadelphia is what we're talking about. Philadelphia. Pennsylvania. (laughs) Pennsylvania. Yeah. (laughs) They also have a week-long celebration called the Wawa Welcome America Festival with huge events, parties, festivities, and, of course, the big fireworks show. So it's the Wawa um, Welcome in Philadelphia? Is that right? No, it's the uh, Wawa Welcome America Festival. But in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, yeah, in Philly. There are fireworks over the Delaware River, and that's usually a few days before, but the big, like, party is on the 4th. Yeah. Uh, then New York. Who was it that guessed New York? Is that Mom? Yes. Okay, so when we were offline, you guessed New York. It's obviously one of the biggest cities in the u.s it's one of the big ones that people who aren't from the u.s will still know along with i think new york and los angeles are probably like the two that i've heard people who are not from the u.s kind of think of the u.s as Mm -hmm. but obviously they've got legendary macy's fireworks show largest in the country huge other various fireworks shows around the city new york is well known for its Food. So they have huge festivals where people come and they eat New York hot dogs and pizza and other right. kind of what you'd think of as yep. you know, New York classic American food. classic food. Next on the list is Washington, Yay. District of Columbia. That was what Sydney guessed, D.C. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we can't celebrate Independence Day without giving some love to the capital. Right, the nation's capital. The nation's capital. <laughs> There's a huge parade with floats, fife and drum corps, military personnel rolling along the 10 blocks of Constitution Avenue as a prelude to the more uh, traditional celebration and then the huge fireworks extravaganza. Does anyone want to take any other guesses on any big cities here? Guess Chicago. I, that's what jumped into my head earlier. They're big St. Patrick's Day <laughs> celebrators. I didn't know about Fourth of July. Yeah, Chicago is on is on the list here. They got parade, firework, kind of the the whole nine yards here. Typically, traditional concerts of patriotic songs, free viewing of fireworks along the pier. Some other ones, uh, and some of these are big cities, but not all of them are ones that you necessarily think of right away. Atlanta, yeah, mm. it's really big in Atlanta. 
Nashville. Okay, that makes sense. Tahoe South in California. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. I don't think anyone, any of us would have guessed that specifically. No. Maybe you would have guessed this one, Miami Beach, Florida. Yeah. I wondered about Miami, yeah. Yeah. Miami, just in general, is huge on celebrations for things, throwing parties. Mm-hmm. So, Miami Beach. Fireworks on the beach probably hits a little different than in the city yeah. proper. That's what I was thinking, too, that we've seen fireworks on the beach and near the ocean multiple times. In Galveston, Corpus Christi. Gulf, in Corpus Christi for the Gulf of Mexico. In Chattanooga, over the river there, mm-hmm. uh, we saw the fireworks over the river there. Some been some other places too that we've seen. It's really pretty. Water mm-hmm. fireworks. To me, it's one of my favorite ways to see it because Beth is not a huge fan of crowds. I'm not. If you want to not be in a hurry, then be someplace that's just nice to hang out afterwards. Right. Yes. Yeah, I think one of my favorite times was when we were in Corpus Christi because we had a hotel room and our hotel was on the beach. Yeah. We literally walked out onto the beach, sat down, watched fireworks, and when they were over, went back to our room. Yep. That was oh, one nice. of my favorite times of watching fireworks. That is so nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. I do have to mention, though, that the fireworks at Disney World are I know. spectacular. Yes, yes, they are. Yeah, they're hard They are an honorable miss. mention. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah honorable mention. Definitely. Orlando. Disney World specifically. Yeah. <laughs> Something else that's neat is Anchorage, Alaska has a huge fireworks celebration, really? but they have to wait till it's dark, oh God. which happens at about 1130. That's so funny. Now. Yeah. Um, some other cool ones. Uh, Williamsburg, oh, yeah. Virginia. Oh, yeah. 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 Big historical city, so that makes sense that they've got their own celebration. So the nice thing about those kind of settings is it's probably not as big of fireworks as maybe New York or maybe even Washington, D.C., but it has the setting... Kind of like Disney does. It has the mm-hmm. setting of the environment that you're in as well that kind of adds to the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much smaller than the next two I have on my list. New Orleans and yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah. They like to party. Other two honorable mentions here that are not like Disney. They aren't private. They're public. But Minneapolis and Granbury, Texas. Okay. I've never uh, even well heard of Granbury, Texas. Yeah. Having lived there for 11 years in Texas in general. I wonder where that is. Yeah, it says it's notable for a cemetery where Davy Crockett and his ah, family are buried. Are buried, yeah. It ha- only has about 9,000 residents, but it draws tens of thousands of visitors for its annual 4th of July fireworks. That's interesting. And it's kind of old-fashioned, kind of American yeah. setting uh, with kind of big band playing. So I think that's neat. It is, it's a very small town in Texas, yeah. but... Around the holidays, if there's a place that's known for something, we'll draw huge crowds of right. of people. Especially from neighboring cities. Yes, especially. Yeah. I tell you, like the intermediate-sized cities, we listed a bunch of big cities, but mm-hmm. the intermediate-sized cities like Chattanooga that we went to were a lot of fun because it still was a big event, mm-hmm. but we literally parked like next to an ice cream shop that we went to get ice cream after. Yeah. You can find some places that maybe aren't super small or super big, like in kind of in between. Yeah. I know that's what we kind of like too. And also the temperature matters for Beth. If it's a super hot day, she's not going to want to spend the day outside at the festival and then sit for fireworks. Or if she does, she would be a little... Crabby? Not happy about the whole (laughs) whole thing. So, um, and also, yeah, good to think about how you're going to 
have the day or break up the day in order to mm-hmm. meet the needs of your your family specifically. Yeah, yeah. like where you want to eat, what you want to eat. Yeah, where you food go. is really important, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Home or away. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very fun. Yeah. And the fun thing is, is that a lot of times people have fireworks through the summer, so you can actually find summer festivals that have fireworks kind of whenever. So that's kind of fun too. Although not as fun for dogs. True. That's true. But fun for people in general. Our future festivities are for the week of June 28th. June 28th is Paul Bunyan Day. June 29th is Hug Holiday. June 30th, National Meteor Watch Day. So I see you have this highlighted in dark red like a fiery trail. Was that on purpose? (laughs) Nope. It's just how it came across. July 1st is National Creative Ice Cream Flavors Day. Mm. That sounds great. July 2nd, World UFO Day. July 3rd, Hop a Park Day. And July 4th, for the United States, is Independence Independence Day. Day. You can always follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Holiday underscore Moons. On Instagram, we are at Holiday Moons. On Facebook, you can search Holiday Moons in the search bar. And we have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And you can email us at any time at holidaymoons at gmail.com. So for Beth, Sydney, Randy, and Cole, Happy Independence Day! Or 4th of July. Golden